they can't leave now. I'm about to start. Go. <laughs> Missed the best part. I'm kidding. Thank you, Craig. You guys have a seat. Yeah, if you've got kids, uh, feel free to take them on out. I'll save the good stuff till you get back. What a blessing and what a way to start today and what a way um, to begin as, to, as we get to witness uh, or got to witness Joey being baptized. In a minute he'll walk out and I'm sure we'll clap again and that'll all be okay. We can interrupt my message for that any day of the week. What a great, what a great way to start. Um, good morning. Uh, let me say that again. If it's your first time here, let me say welcome. I know last week and all throughout the summer, while we have many of our people traveling, we also have lots of people traveling here and lots of people moving into the area. And if it's your first time to visit Riverside, we're really glad you're here. And if you're looking for a church to call home, a faith family to be a part of, we would love nothing more than for, uh, for, for Riverside to be that home for you. We'll tell you, uh, we, we're not perfect. We're far from it. But uh, we are trying, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, to, to live different. Uh, to be different kinds of people um, because of the way Jesus is working and moving and acting and, uh, in our lives. Uh, it's changing us, and we want to be a part of that. And if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to journey with you in that. This summer, we've been talking about this idea of move. Uh, if you haven't been with us, I'll catch up real quick. It's a really simple idea. Before I do, here's Joey. This summer we've been talking about this idea of move, and it's been a really simple idea. We've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, which is the story of Jesus as told by someone who was close to him, this guy, this disciple named Mark. And we've been looking at uh, the movements of Jesus, tracing the movements of Jesus and asking a really simple question. Where does Jesus want us to make a move in our lives? And if you're like me, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, if you've been tracing his, his movements, if you've been following him where he's going, what you discover over and over again is that he's calling us, calling you and I to make a move, to make a change, to do something different, to live different because of him. So this summer, we've been looking at these, these different stories. Today, uh, what I want to begin with is just this question. Have you ever done something that ordinarily you wouldn't do, but you did it anyway because of love? I know it's a long question, so let me just say it again. Think about it. Have you ever done something that ordinarily you wouldn't have done, you wouldn't do, but because of love, you did it anyway? I think every parent in the room can probably identify with this. None of us thought in our 20s that when we saw that, when we smelled that, we would walk over to this infant who had just dropped five pounds in a diaper, and we would walk over there and willingly take that off, use the 35 or 40 wet wipes it took to clean that, replace it with a brand new one, then take out that thing in that little baggie and dispose of it. None of us thought we would do that except that this child belongs to us and no one else wants to do it, and so we have to do it, and we do it out of love. I remember, and I think I've told the story before, but it's, it's too good not to tell again. I remember when um, my da- we took my daughters, uh, Alicia and I, we, we took our daughters to the mall to get their ears pierced. Something that every, you know, good parent would do for their daughter, right? You want to wear the earrings. And so we, we took them. They were young. We're going to go to, the, go to the mall and go to that store in the mall. I don't know what it's called. You girls do. And get their ears pierced. And uh, we get there. And the plan was, Alicia, you take Ella Grace in. And I'm going to keep Emma out. And I'm going to walk around the mall. And we're going to shop and window shop and keep her distracted. So she doesn't see what's about to happen. Because if she sees it, she won't do it. <laughs> And I'll come back around, and then you can kind of wave at me or give me the sign, and I'll come in, and we'll swap daughters, and I'll take Ella Grace, and you can take Emma, and we'll do that with her. That was the plan, and, and that's what we're going to do. When we get there, Alicia takes Ella Grace into the store, and I'm walking around with Emma, and finally we circle back around uh, the mall, and I see Alicia and Ella Grace in there, and Alicia waves at me to come on in. So I come in, and immediately Alicia and, I mean, uh, Emma and I know that something is not the way it's supposed to, something is very, very wrong. 
Emma, Ella Grace is white as a ghost. I mean, just, just pale white, like shaking. But um, it's Emma's turn, so I pick up Ella Grace, and I leave Emma with Alicia. And Emma doesn't want to get her ears pierced because she sees Ella Grace, but that's not my problem. I'm out of there. <laughs> I got Ella Grace, and, and I pick her up, and I put her, you know, around me, and she just, you know, bear hugs me. She's locked onto me, you know, and her head is on my shoulder, so I can't see her, but I'm just stroking her back like a good father. And I'm like, hey, baby, you did great. You were so brave. Hey, I saw on the corner down here, down here there's, there's the Great American Cookie Store. I will take you, and I will buy you a slushie, whatever flavor you want. Because I am the good parent who's going to buy you a slushie. I'm not like your mom who lets strangers stick needles in your ears. And I'm taking her down, and I'm like, you know, what flavor do you want? You want watermelon? You want, you know, cherry, blue raspberry? I'll buy you whatever you want. And, and, and all I can hear is like a whisper like, water. I just want water. I'm like, baby, I'll, like, I'll get you a cookie too. Like, whatever you want, I'll buy you whatever flavor you want, whatever size you want. Water. I just want water. I'm like, Okay, so finally we get down to the, to the corner where the Great American Cookie Store is, and there's people lined up to get their cookies, and, and I go right up to the counter, and there's a guy standing there. He couldn't have been like 14 years old, and I'm like, hey, I need a cup of water for my daughter. And he's like, sir, that'll be 27 cents. <laughs> like, I don't care. First of all, why 27 cents? Like 25, a quarter, maybe 10 cents. Okay, 27, that's strange. But I wasn't going to argue with him because I'm in a hurry. My daughter's, you know, desperate for water like she's been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm like, I just need a cup of water. And as soon as I get those words out of my mouth, Ella Grace, I mean, she's done so good at this point. She's held inside all the, the trauma that's just happened to her, that her mother let happen to her. Um, and she can't hold it any longer. And she, well, she... This is gross. I'm sorry. She throws up all over me. Not once, not twice, not three times, four times. My daughter is like, like all down my back, all over the carpet. All of a sudden, there's not a line for cookies anymore. Like, if you want a cookie, like, there is no waiting. People are going in the opposite direction. And this kid looks at me and he says, Here's your water, no charge. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, a little late. I'm grabbing the cheap napkins from the, the counter there, trying to clean it all up and make sure she's okay. And they're disintegrating in my hands. I'm like, this is not working. But I don't care about any of that. I don't even care about how gross or disgusting the moment is. You know what my concern is? It's my daughter. Like, are you okay? Well, she feels a lot better for some reason. <gasps> I'm so wrapped up in the moment. But it's because of my love for her. I'm just, I, I could care less about how gross or disgusting all of it is. Because you know this if you're a parent especially. Like, love... I mean, it makes, you, it makes you step into these moments that are just gross and disgusting, things that normally you would walk away from, and you just get right into the middle of it because of your love for that child that God gave you. And just so I can sleep in the room tonight, my wife is an incredible mother and great person. <sighs> but this is the problem we all face, right? We all have this thing inside of us, this, this thing that gets triggered sometimes, and it's called disgust. And when we see something, or we experience something, or we smell something, and, and, and we, we, we notice it, or it comes to our attention, and it is not pleasant, that, that thing is triggered inside of us, and it makes us turn the other way. It makes us go in the other direction. We all have this. We all have the same thing inside of us. It's, it's, it's the way we're wired. I'll give you two scenarios. Think about what you would do in these scenarios. If your family is anything like my family, this summer we've been, been traveling a lot. We've been on the road a lot, a lot of road trips. Imagine you're on a road trip. You're driving down the interstate with your, with your family, and all of a sudden there's some traffic picking up, and you check your GPS, and sure enough, 
Uh, you see the red line, you know you're going to be sitting in traffic for the next few miles, but at least you're moving. You're, you're, you're kind of crawling along 5 miles, 10 miles, maybe 15 miles an hour. It's road construction, so they've got the two lanes down to one lane, and you're just kind of slow-poking your way through the interstate, hoping that it'll break free soon. But all of a sudden, you notice that up on the right side, on the shoulder, there's a car that's pulled over on the side of the road, and, and you notice that car, and you're thinking, hey, maybe, maybe I should pull over and help. That's the, that's the, for a lot of us, at least those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is what we think, like, like this is a question we ask, how can we help when we see someone in need? If you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you, but for the rest of us who are trying to follow Jesus, this is something we ask ourselves, hey, there's someone in trouble, how can I help? There's a problem, maybe I can find a way to help. So you see this car on the side of the road and you're thinking, I wonder if I can help, I wonder if I should help. The closer you get, you notice that the back of this car is covered, I mean literally covered, this broken old car is covered in bumper stickers, many of which you don't even know what they are, and the ones that you do know what they are, it's not your kind of thing. And you're like, huh, I'm not so sure about that. You get a little closer and you see uh, a couple get out of the car. And the first thing you notice, you're not trying to notice, but you notice that whatever skin color you have, they have a different skin color. You notice that the lady is, shall we say, scantily clad. The man is wearing an old white shirt, stained, holes in it. His hair is a mess, and for that matter, hers is too. And the closer you get, the more you're thinking, should I help? You see the steam coming out from under the hood. It looks like maybe their car is overheated. So, you know, you can maybe give them a ride down to the next exit to the gas station. Maybe you've got AAA. You can call and and get someone to come help. But the closer you get, the more you see, the more you just decide, maybe I'll just keep driving. And there's a little voice inside of you that says, I bet they have a phone. They can, if they need help, they'll call somebody. They've got friends. They've got family. They've got somebody they can call. They'll be all right. That thing inside of you, that voice that you hear talking to you, what that is, that's disgust. That's what has turned you away from that situation. Second scenario, very similar. You're on the road. Lanes are cut down from two to one. There's construction. You're slow poking along. You see a car on the side, the right shoulder, and it's broken down. You see the same steam coming up from the, from the hood. They probably overheated. I wonder if I should help. This time you get a little closer, and the, the car looks new. It looks nice. Maybe it is new. On the back, you don't see bumper stickers. What you see is like window paint, and on the back of the window is written two words, just married. And you're like, oh, man, I can't believe. Here's like a newlywed couple, and they're broken down. How terrible is it? I wonder if I can help. You get closer, and sure enough, a couple pops out of the car, and oh my goodness, like he's still wearing his tux. She is still wearing her wedding dress, and they're on the side of the interstate in Texas, and it's hot, but they're not even like mad. They're too happy to be mad. They're just laughing at the situation, and you're thinking, I wonder if I could help. I wonder if maybe I could, could take them down to the next exit and, 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 and get them help for their car, or maybe call AAA, and maybe they can come and help us out and help out this, this sweet couple who just got married and who needs help. They look like me. They look similar situation, different people, different car. In which situation are you more motivated to stop and to help? Now, the point of that is not to make you feel guilty, so don't. The point of that is to make this point that we all have this thing inside of us, this trigger inside of us, 
that when we see certain things, sense certain things, smell certain things, realize certain things, all of us, every one of us, make quick judgments. And inside of all of us is this trigger called disgust. And what it does for most of us is it turns us away and sends us in the opposite direction. And sometimes this can be good. Like if you're drinking milk and it's sour and you're disgusted, it helps you because you stop drinking that and you, like, live. It's a good thing. You know, when you're eating at a restaurant and you find hair in your food, you stop because that's disgusting. It's, it's, it's meant to help you and to serve you well. But as followers of Jesus, what happens more often than not is that we come upon something where we should be motivated because of Jesus to step into a situation, but we don't. We hesitate or we stop. Or we just keep on going all together and decide to let someone else deal with that. What's interesting about the way that Mark tells the story of Jesus is that over and over again, he either confronts or is confronted by people who, for a lot of us, if I'm just being real honest, we would be disgusted. In fact, a lot of people were, and what happened for these people over and over again throughout their lives is that when people saw them coming, they went the other way. Even people of God, even people who believed in God, even people who knew the words of God and the law of God and the rule of God, when they saw these people coming up to them, they would go in the other direction. They would head the opposite way because something was triggered inside of them. That disgust was triggered, and they went in the opposite direction. But as Mark tells the story of Jesus, what happens for him is over and over again, you can read it for yourself, Jesus doesn't go in the opposite direction. He does the most unpredictable thing every single time, and people are always amazed and astonished and bewildered and confused because every time he does it, and he does it over and over again, he moves into the mess. What would trigger disgust in most of us triggers something different inside of Jesus, and I think it should trigger something different inside of his followers too. So if you have your Bible, if you want to open up to Mark chapter 1, I want us to look at this story found, it starts in verse 40. This is how the story begins. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus. You probably have heard of leprosy before. It's a skin disease. In the days of Jesus, it was incurable. In fact, if you had leprosy, you you weren't allowed to live with your family anymore. You weren't allowed to live in the community, in the town, in the village anymore. You had to go and you had to live outside the camp. You had to live away from your friends, away from your family, away from town. You had to live far enough away that no one would accidentally come upon you and if you saw travelers coming your way who maybe were traveling from one place to another and they were coming near you by law you had to scream out unclean unclean how would that make a person feel by law you couldn't live in town so because of that you're separated from family you're separated from community And you're separated from the possibility of going into town to go into the temple to worship. So there's a sense in which not only are you separated from people and the people of God, but you're also separated from God. Because of this disease that by law made you unclean, impure, and outcast. But this man comes to Jesus, and I want you to think about this. He breaks all the rules. 
and he approaches Jesus, who isn't just a person he should avoid because he's a person. He approaches Jesus, who is a Jewish rabbi, who is someone who speaks and teaches the things of God. And he comes and he kneels before Jesus, and Jesus lets him come near. He could have told him to stay back. He could have told him to go away. Jesus could have walked the other direction, but Jesus didn't do any of that. He could have, and no one would have faulted him for it, but he didn't. Jesus lets the guy come near and draw near and kneel down right in front of him. And Mark says he kneeled down, he knelt down in front of him, begging to be healed. Begging to be healed. In humility and desperation. This man comes before Jesus in faith because apparently he has heard what he can do. And he kneels down in front of Jesus in complete humility, begging Jesus to heal him. Think about this. Let me just ask you this question. What's the bravest thing you have ever done? What is the bravest thing that you have ever done? done. I think for this man, this may have been, it had to have been, the bravest thing he ever did. Not only was he breaking all the rules, not only was he approaching a holy man of God, but when you have leprosy, it it eats away at your hands, your fingers, your face, your body. It disfigures you. It makes you someone who is disgusting. People don't want to see it. And so what you do is is you literally cover yourself so no one can see what's going on underneath that covering. If you were to come near, parents would hide their children and shield them from the sight of you because it is gross. It is disgusting. And if you have leprosy, I can only imagine how disgusting you feel and how full of shame you felt. But this man comes before Jesus. And he pulls back the cloak and he reveals to Jesus, he shows Jesus the most disgusting thing about himself. And he begs Jesus in desperation and humility to help him. I bring that up because I think for a lot of us, the bravest thing you could ever do is to reveal to Jesus and reveal the people of faith that you know and love and trust and you know love and trust you. To reveal to them and to reveal to him the most shameful, dare I say, the most disgusting thing about you. And ask Jesus, beg Jesus to heal you. He begs Jesus and he prays this prayer that I think we should pray sometimes. He says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. He kneels before Jesus in his shame and the reality of his situation in the disgust as someone who is unclean as someone who is viewed by everyone around him as an outcast. And he begs Jesus in faith, not, not demanding anything, 
but just saying what he believes is true in his heart, that Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I guarantee you, if, if this man were to approach me or you, the first thing that we would feel, the first emotion we would experience, the first thing that would happen to us is we would, we would feel disgust. But I want you to, and you can underline these words in your Bible or on your app, Mark 1.41, I want you to, to hear what Mark said Jesus felt. This man prayed, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Verse 41, Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus felt something, but what he felt wasn't disgust. Jesus looked at this man and he saw him as he revealed to him the most shameful, the most disgusting thing about himself. And what Jesus felt in that moment was compassion. What's really interesting is if you do a little bit of homework and you, you read what the scholars say about this text and about these verses, they, they say that if you go back to the earliest manuscripts, which means the closest to the original that we can find of the Gospel of Mark, the word here used in those most ancient manuscripts isn't the word compassion, it's actually the word anger. So one way to read this story is to say Jesus saw this man, this leper, coming before him, praying this prayer. If you are willing, Lord, you can heal me. You can make me well. And Jesus, seeing this man, seeing his sickness, seeing his illness, seeing his leprosy, seeing his skin disease, seeing his shame, seeing that he is cut off from community, seeing that he is now cut off, in a sense, from God, or at least the opportunity to go to the temple and to worship God, that Jesus sees all of this and it makes him angry because this is not the way it was supposed to be. You ever been angry? You ever been angry when things are not the way they're supposed to be? You ever been angry when you get the phone call that someone you love has cancer? You ever get angry when you find out someone you love has passed away? You ever get angry when you, 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 know, you find out that someone you love has lost their job or someone you love is, has some incredible sickness or, or someone you love is you know, stuck in addiction? Have you ever just gotten angry because this is not the way things are supposed to be? Jesus sees this man, and Jesus knows he was there when the world was created. This is not the way it was supposed to be. He sees this man. And maybe the best translation of this whole idea is that Jesus was, 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 was moved to this anger plus compassion, extreme love for this man, and extremely upset because this is not the way it was supposed to be for him. Jesus is moved with anger and compassion. And he reaches out and he touched him. And Jesus said these words. I am willing to be healed. And instantly, instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Jesus moved with compassion, moved with anger, made a move to remove this man's sickness, to remove his disease, to remove his isolation, to restore him to community, to restore him to worship. Jesus was moved by love to make things the way they were supposed to be for this man, to make things right. The question I want to ask you, at least those of you in the room who are believers in Jesus, who are trying to follow Jesus, is just this question, how can you let the love of God, how can you let the love of God move you to do things you might not normally do, but you do them because of love? Grayson mentioned 
that Camp Texoma was this past week, and, and he invited me, and I was so honored to get to go up to camp on Monday night and speak to our teens. And like he said, their theme was Stranger Things, talking about how do we live different as teenagers in this world. And so I was thinking about, you know, what's the strangest thing Jesus ever did? And for me, I, you know, you may have a different answer, but I think one of the strangest things Jesus ever did was right before he went to the cross, he, he was in the upper room with his disciples, and he, he washed their feet. And you know how the story goes. Back in those days, everybody, they didn't wear chacos, but they wore sandals, and they walked everywhere. And the streets were dirty, not just with dirt, but with all kinds of things that filled the streets of those cities. And the custom was, when you went in that evening for dinner, that whoever the lowest person on the totem pole was, whoever was the servant or the attendant on duty, would, before the meal, would wash everyone's feet because they were nasty. They stunk. You didn't want to eat with, with feet caked in dirt and mud and everything else that they were caked with. Well, they get there to the upper room, and Jesus is there with the disciples, and there's no attendant on duty. There's no servant there to perform this task. And so Jesus gets up from the table, he puts on the towel, and he goes around and he washes the feet of every disciple in that room. It's very strange. And so I called up five or six of our teenagers to the, to the front as I'm retelling the story from, from John 13, and I'm like, I need five or six of you that have been wearing, you know, your flip-flops, your sandals, your chacos all day at camp today. And they come up, and you got guys like Landry with a size, you know, 35 feet that just stink. And they're, they're caked in dirt from Texoma. And they're sitting up there, and I ask them to take off their sandals, and they do it. And they know what's coming, and they don't really understand how this is going to happen. But I get them all to take off their sandals, and I'm telling the story of what Jesus did uh, with his disciples in the upper room. And then I ask the room, there's like 40 teenagers there, and all the adults, I'm asking, hey, would anyone want to come up and wash their feet? while I tell the story. You know what happened? No one volunteered. Do you know why? Because that was disgusting. (laughs) You don't want to do that. That's gross. You see those teenagers' feet caked in Texoma dirt, and no, you don't want to get your hands on that. No. Forget even if you don't like feet. They're just nasty feet on top of that. I think Jesus did that for a couple of reasons. One, he wanted to communicate to every man in that room, every man that would betray him, every man that would abandon him, every man that would deny him, that no matter what, he loved them. And you know this is true. Some of you have experienced this. When someone serves you and does something for you that they normally wouldn't do, but they do it out of love, you know, you know the love communicated in that moment through that service is more powerful than any spoken word. Jesus wanted every man in that room to know that no matter what, there is nothing they could ever do that would make him love them less. And every man that night, every man that night walked out of that room knowing they were loved by Jesus. But I think he also wanted to show us something too. And if you think about it, if you read the stories of Jesus, you see it over and over again that the trajectory of the life of Jesus was always to move toward the mess, to make a move towards disgust, to, 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 move, to move toward what most people were ashamed of. So yet Jesus touches the leper, touches the untouchable, touches the one that he, how, how many days, weeks, months, years had it been since he had felt 
the human touch of another person who even knows. And he reaches out and he touches him and he heals him. He moves towards him. Jesus touches the blind and makes them able to see. He goes to those who are dead and he raises them back to life. He feeds the hungry. He calls a tax collector, the worst of all sinners, to be in his inner circle, to be a disciple. Jesus over and over again moves towards the mess. Jesus over and over again steps into the filth, into the middle of the dirt, and he does so to make things right, to restore them to way, the way they were all, always supposed to be. And the thinking was, and the thinking is still today, that if, if, if you touch, if you are clean, if you think for a minute that you're clean, which you're not, but if you thought that you were, and if you, if you touch something that is unclean, then what is unclean will also make you unclean. But Jesus shows us a powerful, different reality. That in the kingdom of heaven, it's a great reversal. Jesus, who is clean, touches what is unclean. And over and over again, what is unclean doesn't make him unclean. What is clean has the power to make what is unclean clean. This is the reversal. This is what Jesus does. Over and over again, he steps into the dirt, into the filth, into the disgust, into the shame, into the sin. And love compels Jesus to make things right for others the way they were always supposed to be. So will you let love move you to make things right for others too? Next time you see something or smell something or encounter something, that normally, and maybe in the moment even then, makes you feel disgust. Will you let love be more powerful? Will you let the love of God in you be more powerful and to overcome that initial response of disgust and to demonstrate the incredible, the incomparable, the amazing love of Jesus Christ. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. Here's the rest of that story. As soon as I realized that the napkins at the Great American Cookie Store were no help, I picked up my daughter, and you know what I did? I went to find a restroom. One of those family restrooms they have at the mall where we could both go in. And I did that for two reasons. First, I wanted to clean up and get my daughter cleaned up. But second, if, if I'm being really, really honest and transparent with you, you know what else I wanted to do? I wanted to hide. Because we were both disgusting. And I didn't want people looking at us. I didn't want people staring at us. And I think for a lot of us in the room today, there's some in here today who are hiding. You're hiding because you feel unclean. You're hiding because there's something about you that you're ashamed of. You're hiding because there's something about you that you think is disgusting and no one knows. You see, what disgust does is it not only turns us away from others, but it also turns us away from ourselves. And like a leper who doesn't want anyone to see his leprosy, we cover it all up. 
maybe the bravest thing you can do today is to make your way. I'm going to ask our, shep- our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room. Maybe the bravest thing you can do today is just go to one of our shepherds and their wives and just say, man, I've got some dirt. I am not clean. In fact, I am unclean. Would you help me pray, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And they'll do that. Because I tell you, Jesus is willing. He said it. I am willing. Jesus is willing. And maybe you've been hiding for a long time something that you've done, some sin you've committed, something that you're ashamed of, and you've never confessed it, you've never shared it, you've never owned it, you've never admitted it. And maybe if you want to be clean, that's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to confess it. You're going to have to share it with someone who you know loves you and to Jesus who you know loves you. And when you do, he will wash that away. Maybe like Joey, you want to come and step into these waters where we believe Jesus literally washes away your sin. Maybe it wasn't something you did. Maybe it was something that was done to you. You've carried for a long time and it's been hidden. And whatever that was that was done to you has made you feel unclean. I don't know. But I know that Jesus is willing to make you clean. And when he does, something changes. Here's how the story in Mark ends. When Jesus healed the man with leprosy and made him well, made him clean. Verse 45 says this, The man went out and spread the word. Jesus asked him not to, but he did it anyway, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds, so many people came and surrounded Jesus that he couldn't even publicly enter a town anymore. He had to stay out in the secluded places But people from everywhere kept coming and finding him. You know why? Because this guy couldn't shut up about how awesome Jesus was. Why? Because Jesus had literally changed his life. Jesus had literally saved his life. Before Joey was baptized, we were walking upstairs, and Joey said, I'm so excited. I'm more excited than if I got to play in the Super Bowl. You know why? Because today, Jesus saved his life. Today, Jesus wants to save your life. If you want him to save your life, or if you want to pray and ask him to heal your life, man, now's the time. We're going to sing this song. Come find me. Come find one of our shepherds. If we can help you, pray with you in any way, we would love to do that. Let's sing.